Hey, you guys, I want to interrupt this podcast because I have something time sensitive that I want you to know about. On September 13th, 14th, and 15th, I'm hosting an online three-day event, and it's absolutely free. All you have to do is register. We're calling it Created for More because we believe deep down inside all of us, there's a voice really connected to the way God created us that knows there's more on our life than maybe what we're living. And we want to help get that out, that purpose and that call. So we're going to look at three main topics we believe are critical for you to live this full, wholehearted life that you're called to. We're going to look at defining your boundaries. We're going to look at hearing and knowing God's voice. And we're also going to discover how to chase those dreams God's way and maybe even find out if they're his dreams. So join me. It's absolutely free September 13th through the 15th. And if you like want to invite somebody, this is the perfect event because you can be anywhere. You can live anywhere. If you're in England, if you're in Ireland, if you're in Australia, this event is perfect for you. You can come to the event. So how do you get signed up? Very easy. Go to thetruthacademy.com. That's thetruthacademy.com or click the link in our show notes and make sure you sign up. Once you sign up, We'll take it from there and make sure you get all the reminders and you won't miss a thing. You guys, I'm so honored to do this life with you. And I really believe these are the moments that change our lives. Hi there. Welcome to Home with Havila podcast. I'm Havila Cunnington, your host. And I'm really excited you're joining me today because we are continuing on with our boundaries refresh series. If you've been following along for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at boundaries from a couple different angles. We've looked at boundaries with extended family, boundaries in work. We also did boundaries in marriage. And we've just kind of been trying to circle all the different aspects of the questions that you guys have about boundaries. And this is the last week we're going to talk about boundaries and we're going to hit some of the big questions that you guys have asked us when it comes to boundaries and ministry. We know a lot of you either lead churches, serve churches, or have some connection to your life in a, in a faith environment. And you're trying to navigate, how do I have really healthy boundaries, but still lay my life down and be a servant and be connected and be included all those things can feel complicated specifically in our faith community. So today I invited my friend, Danny Silk, to come join me. I can't think of anyone who's more qualified to talk about boundaries and ministries than Danny Silk himself. Danny, thank you for joining me on today's podcast. Hi, Havla. It's great to be here. <laughs> so Danny, I know a lot of people on our podcast know you. You actually jumped in with us in January when we did some private boundary coaching calls and literally our whole community blew up with excitement of the things that you were articulating about boundaries and connection and how to keep our love on, which is one of your books, um, in the middle of hard stuff. So can you maybe give us a little bit, I know uh, if you follow Danny, you know he's a pastor and he travels around the world and he's an author, but how did you start knowing how to teach people about boundaries? And maybe when did you have the epiphany that the church didn't have boundaries? <laughs> or maybe they did. <laughs> when did it all begin? <laughs> well, I think that you know a lot of my, uh, my skill set was picked up while I was a social worker. 
And I think that working with families, learning really how to help people create healthy interactions and healthy connections when you're in so much pain or you have so much anxiety with drug addiction or domestic violence or whatever it might be. And when I moved from that into ministry, I realized, oh my gosh, pastoring is just social work. So we very much have come into the, the ministry with the idea that there is a skill set that families do not have because classically families just teach families who teach families who teach families who teach families, who teach families and nobody ever actually <laughs> pays attention to what we're teaching. <laughs> we it's just true. learn, just learn. You know, we learn as children to figure it out in our families and then we go do the same thing to our kids and i thought wow okay we need to really take a look at what skill set we are intentional about and that's the only way we're really going to make adjustments that bear a different result than what we look at in our own families and go oh my gosh i can't believe we do this as a family like right that's that's what happens when nobody's really paying attention. Yeah, it's it's the whole pathology, right? This is what my parents did, and this is how my parents thought about it. And we we get things passed down, you know, through our grandmother and our mom, how we feel about ourselves as women, or what we feel about ourselves as men, and and those things really do affect us. We are taught a set of culture. We may not even know it, but we have it's a it's its own little island of how we've done life and you know, what's good and what's bad and either how we survive or how we thrive or what's important. And so those things, we almost need to be indoctrinated in a different way with truth and what really is true about how life works and what God says. But often we've never really challenged our, the origin of where it came from. Right. I mean, I, I didn't know that I used my fork a certain way until I went to Europe and everybody tips their fork upside down and right. <laughs> uses their knife a lot. And I'm like, wow, we only use our knife to cut. We don't use our knife as a wall to push food up against. And, and we, I just, you know, you don't even know what you do until you see someone else do it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And so what were some things that you saw early on that you thought, this is something that is kind of chronic that we don't know how to do well as people of faith? Say no. <laughs> I just don't think anybody in ministry or, or nobody is teaching Christians to say no. <laughs> to each other, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, I feel so guilty if I ever say no or you ever get upset. And so it, it turns into you really learn how to manipulate other people by getting upset yeah and so you have an upset culture i mean that's usually in a in a pastoral environment where the pastor's so concerned about keeping the people happy people learn if you want to be powerful in a pastoral environment get upset it, it's kind of like a hotel or a restaurant you know if you want to get special treatment be upset and they'll yeah. start they'll start throwing stuff at you 
that nobody else gets because they want you to calm down and they want you to be happy. So that kind of behavior, I mean, that's what, if you don't train your toddler out of that, you're going to have some rough adolescent years. Yeah, very true. I love that. I mean, this kind of goes along. I know you wrote a book on punishment and kind of not really, uh, really coming against that kind of culture that is based in punishment. So what you're saying is some of our boundary issues when it comes to church or our, maybe our employment in a, in a faith-based community or wherever we are, that sometimes we've learned that to keep the peace or to lay our life down or to always say yes, that it, it doesn't just work in the environment, but we've also learned that this is what God wants because our lead or a leader or a pastor is demonstrating it to us, right? Sure. And leaders create culture, right? So when the leader is actually believes that their job is to make everyone happy, then that is in the culture of ministry training is that I am here to take on your problem and to solve it for you and then hand it back to you. So your Rubik's Cube got all mixed up. It's my job to sort it out and then hand it back to you again. And that's not true. My job is to teach you how to sort out your own Rubik's Cube. You know, that's what I, I'm here to lead you in you becoming powerful as a person who can handle their life, not create a dependency relationship where you need me around or you need some leader around all the time to be all right. Yeah, I remember an aha moment in my adulthood, in my counseling, where um, my counselor said, you know, did you know that your leaders aren't called to parent you? And I went, I don't, I don't know what that means because we have spiritual mothers, we have spiritual fathers, and they're there to help me. And she said, no, actually, if you are an adult, God sees you as an adult and you have the power to be an adult. And so your leaders are there to influence you, but they are not there to parent you. That was groundbreaking. I, I, I remember thinking, because once you believe your leader is parenting you, then they're supposed to fill every hole that you never got growing up. They're supposed to be, you know, they're supposed to protect you. They're supposed to be this person that fixes it for you. But when you realize that they're just there to influence and help and be encouragement, but not parent you, that's like an aha moment as a believer. And especially as a, like a, an adult uh, who grew up in the church, that was just never taught to us. Yeah, it is a disservice really to, realize that somebody feels so powerless in their life around a certain issue or dynamic in relationships with their spouse or other people and have the the ministry be step in take over tell people what to do and then you know walk away and all that happened was people learned oh, I'm supposed to wait till somebody tells me what to do. But I don't know how to get out of my own irresponsibility cycles, disrespect cycles, disconnect cycles. I don't know what to do. It didn't change, it didn't change my skill level. I just basically 
obeyed what I was told to do. And that is unfortunate, but it's very much a style of a lot of ministries. Yeah, it really is. So what happens if someone's listening to this today and they're thinking, you know what? I'm doing that. I'm realizing I've never challenged any of those areas. I've never grown in those areas. And I'm realizing that the hard part is that I want my leader to change, right? Like I need my leader or my boss to change so that I can live this way. We, I mean, you and I both know that's not really possible to change somebody else, but how does somebody operate? How do they start to kind of move towards help when it comes to the relationship with ministry and their, their life? Well, I, I think that everything starts with me in that if, if I change, I've changed my relationship with you. Uh, as much as if I started shooting heroin, our relationship would change. Yeah. And so I can, I can start being a powerful person, manage myself, take responsibility for my thoughts, feelings, and actions, build some new habits, de- design a new character of interaction with other people, and all my relationships will change. Now, possibly, you know, my ministry leaders will realize, oh, you, you require respect in this relationship. You never have before, but now you do. I'll meet you there. I'll bring respect. But they may not. They may think, you know, your self-control feels like disrespect to me, and I'm going to try to shape you back into dependency, and that leads you to a decision to where how long am I going to exchange a disrespectful relationship with my leader? And eventually there comes the boundaries. The boundary is I love you and I have no time to be engaged in disrespect with you. But our interactions feel disrespectful because you feel justified being controlling and punishing because you don't like what I'm doing. So I'd be happy to talk to you when you want to have a respectful interaction. So, I mean, that may be what happens is you may, uh, I I worked with domestic violence offenders for years and they were court ordered into my program, but the victims were not. And so what happened is the offenders started getting healthy and the victims stayed in their dysfunction and the relationships broke up, not because the victim found a healthy place to go. It's because the offenders started requiring healthy interactions. So they would break up these relationships and the victim would go find another disrespectful relationship. Yeah. And so part of what happens when you get healthy is your social circle will be challenged and often it ends up changing. Which is very, I I, I just want to stop for one minute because what you just said was, if you think that the person that is leading you, whether they are your boss or your faith, you know, pastor or leader, if this is working for them, So if you think, well, if I just help them figure this out, well, then, you know, they'll learn to be respectful and, and then everything will change. No, you are a face 
to a set of behaviors. And so it doesn't diminish their love for you or how much they care about you, but their conduct, the way they, they live their life is not going to be altered until they at one point face the boundary that's there and they either have to start being respectful in the relationship or you end up walking away because it's no longer respectful. It's just nothing that I, I'm not willing to hurt our relationship anymore. So I think there are some, some listeners that are listening to this that are going, okay, I'm going to have to decide, am I willing to stand up and have a boundary that says, I love you and I respect you too much to be, to be in a relationship like this with you. And that might cost you the people around you or the, the person that is leading you. But we're kind of breaking it down to first, it might be the sphere that you're in of friends and, and comrades and coworkers, but it does get all the way to the top. It's every relationship will require a set of healthy boundaries. And so sometimes, you know, your friends might be the easiest ones to set boundaries with, but then the person who's paying your bills, it's really difficult. Or maybe, hey, my boss, I have no problem having boundaries, but with my spouse, I have a hard time. So it, it depends, like you're saying, it depends on your origin, your pathology, the way you were raised, but it also depends on how much you're going to grow. And I think that's what you're saying. I think, I remember my counselor once saying to me, you're going to have to get used to being the smartest person in the room. She didn't mean intelligence. I, I definitely am not going to be that person, but she meant in terms of boundaries, you're going to have to be okay with knowing what healthy boundaries are, even if nobody in the room knows them or are willing to operate with them. And then you get to decide, is this the room I want to be in? That is kind of, I think what you're saying. I know I said it in a bunch of different ways, but, but you really have to, you know, break it kind of, you're going to have to decide if this is going to work for me or not. How do people that have a high anxiety with a faith leader, whether it's their boss, whether it's, it's a family member, that's the pastor, maybe it's, uh, their, their job is connected to a church and their anxiety is high because they're saying not only would I have to set a standard up, I don't want to do this with you, the power struggle that's maybe here, but then I would have to also leave my faith environment or I, you know, how can I, you know, as, as people of faith, our, our lives get so intertwined and it's our kids school and it, it's a place of work and it's a place of worship and it's all of our community. So how does somebody start to unpack things that they know it's not working for me anymore but I don't want to blow up my life. Well, you know, I think when, when I wrote Keep Your Love On, there's a whole section in there about boundaries. And the key to a, a healthy boundary is that when you set it, you keep your love on. You're not rejecting the person. You're simply changing the relationship so that you have two powerful people who can respectfully engage together to meet each other's needs. So in the presence of a boundary, it communicates the hope of reconciliation. Even if there's a disconnect because the other person was really hurt or the other person was really upset or however they respond to the boundary, you know, for starters, people do not like to have boundaries set with them. They do not like to have their access altered or be required to adjust something. That this yeah. is, you know, this is clearly interacting with a toddler. You know, you, you, <laughs> you try to adjust them at all and they flip out. Well, that is, 
that's in your mom, it's in your dad, it's in your pastor, it's in your spouse, it's in your teenagers, it's in everyone, it's in you. So when you set a boundary, you have to keep your love on, or it is the experience of rejection. And that's what people are reacting to, is they think you're rejecting them when you say, I need an adjustment. But if you keep your love on, the boundary communicates, I think we can do a better job together. And if the person is willing to meet you there, then it actually translates into, you know what, we have a better, stronger, more intimate connection after we both adjust. So the problem with most people's presentation of boundaries is I'm demanding that you do it my way. And if you don't, this will be your rejection notice. And that yeah. is very painful, especially when people call that a boundary. That's not a boundary. That's an ultimatum that is then enforced with punishment. Okay, I'm Danny, I have to stop you right here because that is, my mind is kind of blown. I've never heard it said this way. So when I go to somebody, I almost like want to repeat it because I want to make sure I'm catching it. If I go mm -hmm. to somebody and say, here's my boundary. If you don't do what I want you to do, then I'm out. That's not a boundary. That's an ultimatum. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's rejection. That's rejection. So what's the difference for someone who's saying, how does boundaries sound different than an ultimatum? How do we make that sound different? I know you're saying respect, but like what, how would that sound? It, it sounds more like, let me tell you how I'm experiencing you. Uh, the thing that you're doing feels controlling and feels oppressive and now I feel disconnected from you I love that and what I need is I need to feel heard when I talk to you I need to feel respected in our relationship and I need to feel connected to you now what I just did is set a boundary so what if they say I'm not doing that <laughs> I haven't been doing that you got you read me wrong which is often what most people will respond with well, the, if you'll notice, I didn't tell them they're doing anything. Okay. I told yeah, yeah. them how I experienced them. If you're in a restaurant and somebody brings you your food and you go, oh my gosh, this is way too salty for me. They can't say, no, it's not. Yeah, very true. Because I didn't say, hey, there's too much salt in this. Then they yeah. can say, no, it's, no, there's not. There's the perfect amount of salt in there. But I can say, this is way too salty for me. I'm not going to eat this. I love that. This is how I'm experiencing you. This is my experience. This is how I, I'm not able to interact this way because it, make my, it makes me feel anxious. I, I don't feel heard by you because when you interrupt, I, it makes me feel like you can't, you can't hear me versus saying you interrupt too much, right? Instead of accusing them, you're just saying it's about yourself. Right. So when we talk and you interrupt me, it feels very disrespectful to me. And I don't want to have a, a disrespectful exchange with you. So if you're going to continue doing that, I'm going to stop talking. Mm -hmm. That's a boundary. So way the person responds to that will tell you if you have a future or not, right? Well, um, I just say, I'll be glad to have a conversation if you're going to listen when I talk. And if, you know, if it's round two and they say, okay, I'd like to, I'd like to be able to have a conversation with you again, 
say, okay, great. Uh, would you like to talk or would you like to listen? Say, I'd, like, I'd like to listen. Go, great, then I'll talk. And then blah, 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 I say whatever I say. And then I say, what'd you hear me say? And they go, I don't know. I was just waiting to talk. I didn't really listen. <laughs> That's never happened. Well, let me try again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So would you say, uh, okay, I'm going to be brave. Now, let's just start with the fact that you have to have some self-awareness to know what's really happening. If you're saying, I don't like this, but you don't know that it's the salt or you don't know that it's the pepper or you don't know that you don't like eggs. Sometimes I think a lot of our reaction is, I don't like that. I don't want to be around it. But what you're saying is that's not, and again, I'm kind of adding words to what you're saying, but I've read the Keep Your Love On. I read it back. I mean, I've read it probably three or four times. I'm, I think it's just a brilliant book. But what you're saying is basically, I have to have self-awareness to know, also to be aware that I love this person. I want to, I want to make this work. If my goal is just to be right, or my goal is just to be heard, that's not really bringing, coming in love. That's not being a person that's coming in a Christ-like character. That's just fighting for yourself. But what you're saying is, is when I actually can love the person, say, I actually want to be here with them. I want to be in relationship with them. So when I come to them, I'm going to own everything that's mine, and I'm going to give them an opportunity to show up. I'm not going to write them off before I've given them an opportunity to learn. And I think a lot of people do that. We're scared of their reaction or we don't really know what we need. And so we kind of just go off of what we feel. But I think that takes a lot of self-awareness to say, this is too salty and I don't do well with this kind of sodium, right? Mm -hmm. So I have to pay attention to what I'm going to communicate. Because if I don't, if I don't realize what's going on with me, then I act like a victim of what's happening. And so once I take responsibility for what's happening with me, letting you see it, then I am a responsible, powerful person in the interaction. But if I say things like, you make me so angry, you made me say that disrespectfully because you were disrespectful mm -hmm. then what i'm not paying attention to is the powerlessness of my communication i'm blaming you for how i'm experiencing you instead of just giving you information about how i'm experiencing you so you if you are willing you can adjust you in my experience of you that's entirely up to you but you'll never adjust you if you don't know how I'm experiencing you. So if you're standing on my foot and I don't say, ouch, I just say, you're such an ogre. You don't care about anybody but yourself. <laughs> uh -huh. Then you don't do what I need you to do, which is move your foot. You begin to defend yourself against accusation while you stand on my foot. Yeah. I love it. I, I would agree with you. I was <laughs> laughing, thinking about my four boys and just <laughs> the interaction between all of them. You, you're so, you know, ouch, get off my foot. Like there's no one saying, I don't like it when you, so I was just laughing to myself thinking about that. So, okay. Process. I go, you know what? Yeah. I'm realizing my interaction 
with the people I'm around, people that even I either employ or I'm employed by, I'm realizing that all I do is I try to stop their action towards me. I'm not actually owning that this is how I'm experiencing them. Like that to me is a light bulb moment for anyone listening to the podcast. That right there is your work. That's the work that we have to personally do to own and to stay powerful. So, okay, this is what I'm experiencing. I thought it was anger. I, I thought it was my rights. I thought that they were, you know, their disrespect may be disrespectful, but really I'm not feeling heard. Or when you act this way, I feel small. I, I, I feel like I can't be my full self or whatever. Once we have that part, then we go, okay, is, there, is it always time to share those things or are there times when we should never approach somebody with those thoughts? It's just too precious or they're just, how do we know when somebody is not capable of receiving any of that? And would there be a warning sign? Well, typically people, uh, the more intimate relationship, the, the more experience or history we have with somebody. So we, we do anticipate consistent responses from people. So oftentimes people don't even, they don't even want to be vulnerable to share anything because they expect to be disregarded again. But I, I like to just say that setting a boundary is like saying, ouch. And maybe that's where you start. You just say, ouch. And they go, what? And go, ouch. Yeah. I don't know quite how to say it, but ouch. And that starts the presentation that I need an adjustment. Yeah. And so as you, as you step into your relationships, because classically setting a boundary feels like a battle, like I'm, I'm preparing for battle. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and so, because I'm going to try to get you to do something. When, when in fact, all I'm trying to do is show you something. I'm not trying to get you to do something. I want you to see something. So if I say, ouch, immediately you start looking around for how could I be hurting you? Yeah. And then I adjust back from it. So then I realize, oh, that's, that's not a lump in the carpet I'm standing on. It's your foot. Oh, I'm sorry. And I jump back. I adjust myself because I saw you. You showed me you. You showed yeah. me your experience of me with simply saying, ouch. And so if people could just realize that in most relationships, the way I communicate a boundary is by trying to get other people to do something. Mm -hmm. And that just leads you to feel even more powerless. You feel powerless while it's happening. And then you feel even more powerless because you need their full cooperation. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. So if somebody's standing on my foot and I say, ouch, and they go, what's your problem? They're probably going to get shoved right after that. Mm-hmm. And they say, why'd you do that? I say, because you're standing on my foot. Well, why didn't you say, ouch? I did. Yeah. Now that was a, that was a physical boundary, but sometimes that's exactly what happens is I leave the room. Why'd you walk out? I will not have 
disrespectful conversations with you. Yeah, I love that. Okay, so what happens? I, I can hear, <laughs> I can hear someone saying, and I would even have said this myself. What happens when I tell somebody, ouch, and they look at you and go, well, you've stepped on my foot. You know, you never, I said ouch before and you never did anything. You know, what happens when you're trying to grow in vulnerability and, you know, I'm trying to be honest and tell you this is how I'm experiencing you, but I'm afraid that the moment I try to say this is how I'm experiencing you, you're going to come back and bring up legitimate reasons when I hurt you or when I stepped on your foot. And I, I don't want to have to go back and forth with you about those. So how, how does someone navigate that? Well, this goes back to, I'm not going to have disrespectful interactions with you. And, and when somebody is justifying themselves to keep from adjusting to what you might need, for example, you say, ouch, and they say, well, you stepped on my foot earlier today. I was just mm -hmm. returning the favor. <laughs> You say, all right, maybe we can talk later. I have zero interest in your self-justification. And I am not going to engage in a disrespectful conversation by defending myself against your resisting responding to my ouch. You're in a mode, you're you're justifying, you're you're uh, you're, you're poised to send more disrespect than you already have. I can see that. Yeah. So I have two choices, engage, disengage. Okay. And so then I respect myself enough to say, you know what? They, they, I can see that they want to add more disrespect just to bring, make their point or to protect themselves rather than hearing me. So I would say something like, hey, ouch. And they go, what? I didn't hurt you or, which is dismissive or, well, you've done it before or don't be so sensitive, right? Whatever that reaction would be. And then if they say, well, you've hurt me in the past saying, I'd be happy to talk about that with you at a later moment. But right now, the way I experienced you was that was painful. And just staying on point without them deflecting to another thing in the past that would kind of pull you in because what, what they're doing as well. And I, I, I believe, I, I want to say it's gaslighting. I don't always like to use like psychological terms because I don't have any business doing that. I don't have the, the full knowledge of it. But um, one of the things I learned early on was if somebody can get you to talk about something off topic, then it deflects from their own responsibility. So if you're giving somebody, hey, feedback, and then all of a sudden they're getting you on some other topic, then they're still not able to see that this is affecting, that they're affecting you. They're, they're kind of passing a hot potato. And then now that hot potato is back in your lap and you're trying to say it's hot and it hurts, but they're really, you're still not at the point. And so I remember asking a counselor at one point, well, what do I do when they want to go somewhere else? Not necessarily like we just talked about, about some similar experience that maybe I'd done, but they want to go somewhere else. Uh, her, her response was just agree with them. <laughs> so that They are still holding the hot potato, like potato, right? Like, well, so-and-so does it. Yeah, probably so. You know, just keep letting them hold on to it rather than defending somebody else or someone else or 
well, your mom does that. Well, no, mom doesn't do that. She's, she's kind. Yeah, mom, yeah, mom probably does do that. And the agreement allows you not to take on an ownership that you don't need. Is that true? I, I mean, I've, I've definitely, you and I've talked about that and I've read it in your books about, uh, I don't know how you would call it, but those terms that keep the responsibility or keep uh, yourself from taking responsibility that isn't yours, you know, like our kids, you're supposed to get my, my lunch. Yeah, maybe, probably so. Can you give me a little, can you give our listeners a little bit of that? Because I think that will help them in the middle of a conflict to know how not to take ownership of the situation in the moment of anxiety. Yeah, that's, um, that's in Loving Your Kids on Purpose. That would be the, the, the one-liners. You know, I know, probably so. That could be, I don't know, nice try. You know, you just want to get that tattooed on your arm as a parent because you're <laughs> going to be saying that for about 18 years. And it is, uh, it's equally effective with a, a, an adult if you can simply keep your empathy going. Like, I see you're struggling. I see that you're scared. I see that you are misinterpreting my actions as rejection. I, I can see that, you know, so I have an empathy but the main point is I, that's that's my disengagement. My disengagement is you're blasting out accusations, you're blasting out justifications, and so I'm saying I know. Yeah. Probably so. I don't know. I know. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I know. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, how long could you do that? You know. Well, <laughs> you could do that forever, but I wouldn't. I'd say I know. Hey, guess what? I'm not having a conversation that feels like this at all with you. So if this is what you're going to continue doing, I'll be leaving the room. Yeah. I'll be hanging up. Yeah. I'm just going to tell you what I'm about to do. Yeah. And then follow through. <laughs> a lot of people will say, I'm going to hang up. I'm going to hang up. Well, I'm going to hang up. Like, you have to, the only way that that works is if you follow through, if you actually Absolutely. hang up or leave the room and then you teach people how to treat you. Um, I love that. So you're saying, yeah, you could use those terms to disengage uh, ownership at that moment. But ultimately as an adult, we can actually don't have to be in the conversation at all. They're not our kids. We're not parenting them and they get to live how they want to live. And you're telling them, this is how I experience you. And if you want to be in my world, then this is what I'm going to need. It's going to have to be a respectful relationship. I love that. I love that so much. So what if somebody says, okay, I am, I'm seeing right now that I'm a leader that has been treating people in a punishing way, or I've not been able to receive. What's the first thing that a leader can do to, to go to start making changes to where the, their staff or employees start to feel more safe to communicate things that aren't working for them? Uh, by doing a good job listening. You know, if a, if a leader does a good job listening, they actually create a safe place. And that good listening sounds a lot like, is this how you're experiencing me? Is this what you need? And the, the better that you get at that, the more sense it makes for the people who follow you to actually come to you and tell you. But if you self-justify, you dismiss, you deny, you get defensive, any of those things, then people just learn to talk about you instead of talk to you. Yeah. Wow. That's very true. 
So it really is being curious. It's being willing to take the risk to go and say, how are you experiencing me? And that can feel intimidating and scary, but ultimately, you, if you don't know, it, you, it's very hard to be an incredible leader without any feedback. You, you know, it's just how people perceive you. Uh, I think this has been so helpful, Danny, and I'm so grateful for you and all the resources. You know, you and I can have a 20, 30 minute conversation, but really, um, you've spent a lot of time and energy and a lot of your own history in writing and creating. Uh, resources that can help build the family and culture and life. So there's a lot. He's got one on parenting. Um, he's got one on keep your love on, which is kind of in general. Um, there's a, I mean, I, I don't know which ones you'd want to highlight, but the, the topics that we're talking about today, what are the, the items that you think people should go and grab the resources that would be most important if it comes to this topic about working as a leadership or working with leaders? I think that the keep your love on book is just a great place to start just to create a foundation of being a powerful person in a relationship that wants other people to be powerful yeah uh, unpunishable is a is a a route as a leader to really help you manage yourself around other people's problems much more successfully and i would just read loving your kids on purpose because it really shows you how our father leads us as a father as a leader and so different than how our parents did it yeah i love that guys we'll throw all that in the show notes so if you're curious about those resources they'll be there and i know anybody who wants to connect with danny silk you can find him we'll put all his contact there as well but he's a friend of us at truth the table as well as a friend at our home church, Bethel. I guess, Danny, we could have this conversation for three hours and probably just scratch the surface when it comes to boundaries and life. But I'm so grateful for your time. Thank you for being here today. Fantastic. Thanks, I'll see you, uh-huh. see you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You guys, thanks for joining us today on the Home with Havel podcast. Again, if this spoke to you and you're like, yes, I need more of this, go back and listen to the previous podcast. It's all about boundaries refresh. And if you're dying for like a Bible study faith and boundaries, go get the book, I Do Boundaries. Um, keep adding those posts and questions in our socials. We'll be sure and grab those and answer those as much as we can. Other than that, we're so grateful for a minute of your time. Uh, we hope that you can live the best life that God gave you to live. And we'll see you next time. Bye-bye.